my name's Colton. I'm the youth pastor here at SunWest, and I'm excited to be able to share with you guys uh, today's message. But before I get into that, well, happy Stampede. Uh, is Stamp- Stampede started? Has anybody gone yet? Participating in Stampede? Few people. Uh, and right now, you can even just think about that our Mackenzie campus is having their Stampede breakfast, uh, and that's exciting for them. I'm kind of missing out on the flipping of the pancakes, but it's kind of nice. You know, it's a hot day, and then you've got to wear your whole cowboy attire and boots, and it gets really hot. So uh, it's a little bit cooler in here, which is, which is nice, but we can be thinking about our Mackenzie families that are having their Stampede breakfast. Um, but a little bit about me. Uh, that my wife and I, so my wife Angel and I, we just had our first kid three weeks ago, Lucy, which I've already announced that before, but I just like the applause, so it's great. Uh, Lucy's going to be really well loved, but there is something that happened when we had our baby, and I just want to share a couple stories because it's fun, Um, but as soon as uh, Lucy came out, there was just like this overwhelming feeling of joy, excitement, and love. Uh, that I don't know if there's anybody here who's had kids that have experienced that, but it was just, as I was holding her, I was just in awe of how much I love her, even though she didn't deserve it. You know what? Like it's, it's, in fact, she probably did the opposite to deserve it, uh, not giving us sleep and just, anyways, pooping everywhere and changing diapers and pee. I just want to share one quick story of just pee. Um, so I was just changing the diaper, and I, I know it's like a rookie mistake, everybody. Anyways, I like take the diaper off, and I'm using the wet wipes, going with the wipe, and then she starts, and I'm like, she starts to pee. And it's just like a little bit, and I'm like trying to cup it, because I already moved the diaper, and I'm trying not to get it everywhere. And then I had no idea, but even like, she had like a powerful pee, and it like goes like up, and like on her, and she was just covered and soaked in it, and I was like, oh, but yet... For some reason, I was just like, anyways, I was kind of laughing, but yet kind of crying at the same time. Uh, But still in that moment, there was still love for Lucy. And I was just reminded, and I don't know if it was like the voice of God that I was hearing, and it was like, you know what, this love that you feel for Lucy uh, is just a fraction of the love that I feel for you and I feel for my people. That there's, sure, for me, that I haven't done anything really to deserve this love, that I've probably done the opposite to God, but yet he still loves me, still not because of what I do, but because of who I am, and I just was reminded of that. Uh, So I've just been sitting in that, and it reminds me of uh, a verse kind of where the sermon series is coming from. Uh, The sermon series that we're on is 316, so we're, we're focusing on 316s in the Bible, but there's one 316 that usually gets like the spotlight. And what would that be? Like, what is the most famous 316? John. When you think of 316, you think of John 316. Maybe uh, Colossians, because Drew did that last week, but John 316. And what does John 316 say? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, for whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I know there's different. Translation, most people just remember it in the uh, King James Version. Uh, But that's the idea. It's all about God's love. So the rest of the 316s that we're sharing, it all actually comes out and stems out of that one 316 of the love that God has for us. But today we're going to be focusing in on 2 Corinthians 3.16. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up, follow along. We also have Bibles that are going down the... Yeah, the, the aisles that if you want a Bible, pick one up. If you're somebody who's here and you don't have a Bible, uh, 
take one of those home with you. That would, that would be great. We think it's important to be people who spend time in the Word. But before I start on 2 Corinthians 3.16, I want to share a story with you guys. So I grew up in a, in a small town that was outside of Saskatoon. So that means anybody who lives outside of a city, that means that you're going into the city a lot and you spend a lot of time on the roads and traveling. I mean, anybody who commutes for work, you get this. Uh, and I, as I was traveling with my parents, you know what? I just hated their music so much. Uh, my dad would just rock out to, to Elvis and Johnny Cash and The Who, and I thought, you know what? I'm younger. I'm going to listen to my own music. So I want, went and bought a Discman. Uh, one of those that like didn't skip when it hit bumps on the road, like that was crucial. And I would put my headphones in and I would just listen to my own music. And one of the CDs that I had as I was remembering was, uh, you know that like Much Music put out like these dance, uh, like these CDs. I don't know if they still do, uh, but like Much Dance 2002, okay? That is the CD that I had that I was listening to. And my parents would continuously urge me, they're like, take that out of your ears. Don't listen to that kind of music. Like, listen to our music. It's something that's, that's timeless. And I would just be like, no, you know what? Your music's old. I'm going to listen to my music, my uh, 2002 dance beats. Uh, so I'd spend time listening to them. And I thought, you know what? They're old. They're outdated. But what I've got here right now is going to be timeless. And then... It was actually just a week, couple weeks ago that Angel and I, we were, we were driving in the car and we found a bunch of old CDs and we're like, oh yeah, Much Dance 2002, let's listen to the CD. And we put it in and it probably only took five minutes before we skipped every single song uh, to realize, you know what, this isn't that good. And then we switched back and we listened to some of the classics that my parents would tell me to listen to, like uh, Bob Dylan and Neil Young and the Beatles and James Taylor. And we started to listen to music that has st stood the test of time. So this is kind of where we're picking up this story. The Apostle Paul is sharing something very similar with the Corinthians, that they have these headphones in to their way of thinking that they think that they've got it right. But Paul comes in and he's urging them to take their headphones out to listen to something that's timeless and something that gives life. Okay, so that's where we're picking up our, our Bibles. Um, so if you could go to 2 Corinthians 3.16, and I'm just going to read it for you guys. Uh, and I think I've got it up on the screen. Yeah. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I love this passage, that when we actually just turn to the Lord, when we turn to Jesus, these things that are covering our faces, covering the way that we see God, that they are actually just taken away when we look to him. And this is the Apostle Paul who is saying this. And the Apostle Paul, he is one of the, the greatest theologians that we've ever had, and he wrote a good portion of our New Testament. But he did something quite often in his teaching. He would start his sentences with this word, and the word was, but. He understood that he would just set up this story, and it set up a story that there was like, this is what was bringing no hope. This was what was actually bringing death, right? And he sets up the story like a good movie. Like almost every single good movie has a point in it where the good guy or the, anyways, the good guy in the movie that it seems like all hope is lost, that all hope is lost. And then comes in this moment, the, the but moment, that hope is restored. And that's the mo moment in the movie that everybody looks for is when, the, when all seems hopeless, but then there's hope again. And this is the story that, that Paul is sharing with us when he uses the word but, that he sets it all up that there isn't this hope, but when we actually turn to the Lord, 
that the veil is taken away. But to understand what this veil, to be unveiled, right? The veil is taken away, that there must be a veil in place to begin with. So what is this veil that Paul is talking about? And I want to just, to get a better idea of 2 Corinthians 3.16, let's read a little bit more. So I'm going to start uh, at verse 11, and we're going to go to verse 18, just, just getting a little bit more of the context that Paul was sharing. So if you want to follow along, that would be great. Um, but here, I'm just going to read it for you guys. So if the old way, again, starting in verse 11, if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have heard that veil removed can see, the, see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So Paul here is trying to get across that there is something old, that there is an old way, but this is what those people are listening to. They're, in their ears, they're just listening to this old way, and he's urging them to, to start listening to the new way, this new way that brings life. But what is the old? So did you know that, the, that we've got our Bibles, and our Bibles are split up into two parts. It kind of splits up, but right, I'll get there, here. Okay, and it's the old and the new testament. That testament isn't just a fancy word to say that's where the Bible is split. That's kind of different chapters. But testament is actually a covenant. Now, covenant is, it's a, it's a promise and it's a plan. When it's, coming to, when it's speaking from the Bible, what a covenant is, is it's God's plan and it's his promise to redeem his people and to be in right relationship with his people. So the old covenant, the old promise was actually given to a guy named Moses, and he gave it to the Israelites, which are God's people. So Moses is, he's famous for a couple things. I think one of them is uh, going to Pharaoh and, and helping the Israelites become free from the powers of the Egyptians. And right after that, when they're actually set free, the Israelites, they spend time in the desert, and Moses goes on top of a mountain to speak to God. And when in that moment, God actually gives him this law, he actually gives them this covenant. He gives them this plan. He gives them this promise of redeeming his people. And in that, there's a bunch of rules and regulations that they could follow. And when they followed that, that they would be in this relationship with God. That that's how the, that was their way to get there. That that was what the old was. But what is the new? Paul was trying to get something new across. And the new is, is Christ. It's that God actually came 
uh, God actually came to earth in the flesh to live out what was happening, living out that law for us, that it wasn't so much about all these rules that we have to follow, but it was about a relationship that we can have with God, one that, yeah, we don't deserve it, that, yes, we screw up, but there's this grace and there's this mercy and there's this love and there's this forgiveness and there's this spirit that just fills us up and gives us life. That's what Paul is talking about, that he, there is something that is new, that there's no longer the separation from sin because Jesus has took, taken it all on that he's broken that separation. The church in Corinth had this, this hard time understanding this. See, we read the Bible with the lens of the New Testament, that we've uh, 2,000-ish years later that we get this, but for them that was really new and that was a hard step to take because the law made sense. It was this formula to this relationship with God. It was something that made sense to them, but this new thing was, was challenging them, and that's what they were stuck into. He was getting across that the old covenant has served its purpose and it pointed towards the new, but yet it just fails or pales in comparison to this, this new covenant. So the veil, what is this veil that's being removed? This passage in Corinthians talks a lot about this guy named Moses and this veil that was covering his face. So what is this veil that he's referring to in this story? So I just want to get a little bit deeper into, into where he's getting this story from. And, and Paul is actually getting the story from Exodus. Exodus 34. So he takes the story way back. Uh, and again, if you want to follow along, that's where I'm just going to spend a little bit of time sharing that story starting in verse 28 about this guy named Moses and this veil that he had covering his, his face. Um, so let me read this story for you guys, and we'll discuss it just a little bit more. So Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote, wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the, the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord has given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out, until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow on his face, so we would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak to the Lord. Now, what an amazing story that is that Moses, after spending time speaking with the Lord, that he came down and he was glowing. That his face was just glowing. That Moses didn't even realize that his face was glowing. That actually just became the new normal until somebody pointed it out to him. It's kind of like when I go to work for a long day, got a lot of meetings face-to-face with a lot of people, and I come home, and, and Angel, my wife, is like, hey, you've got something stuck in your teeth. And I go, and I look, and I'm like, oh, there's a seed stuck in my teeth from the bagel that I had this morning. I had something stuck in my teeth all day. Uh, it was something that was being pointed out to him. He didn't even realize that he had this glow, but it was pointed out to him by other people, that he was glowing. And what they were, they were actually afraid of this of this glow. 
They're afraid of what they were actually seeing in Moses. So he, had, he put a veil over his face. And I think there's times where I, I discredit or I spend way more time in my New Testament and I was like in the new covenant with Jesus. Uh, but yet, when I read a story like this, you see that there, is, there's, there was life yet in this passage of the old covenant. Moses spent time speaking with the Lord and the Lord was giving him this new promise, this new covenant. And at the time, he was filled with radiance and a glow because of what the old covenant was bringing. It was bringing this life and this relationship. But what Paul is just trying to get across is that this, this glow and this radiance that, that Moses had, that it would just pale in comparison to this life-giving spirit that's here to come bring freedom. So, Paul picks up the story right there. The context in the story in which you get is, is afterwards, so it's after the old covenant, it's afterwards that Jesus has actually, he's lived that life out, that he's obeyed those laws, that he's died as our sacrifice that, so that we could have freedom. To not be concerned with the law, but that we can be focused on contemplation and reflection of Jesus, and that's actually where we become transformed. But the Corinthians were just continuously stuck listening to the music of the old covenant and not enough to listen to the new, even though Paul was urging them to listen to him, so that their hearts were actually hardened from seeing the full glory of God. What Paul is saying here is that the Old Testament, that it has that it served its purpose, that the old covenant has actually pointed and given us direction to the new, that the old, without the old, we wouldn't actually recognize Jesus. We wouldn't recognize the Savior that was here. So it served its purpose that it's leading us into this relationship with Jesus. So that was the Corinthians' big, biggest stumbling block. That they were so stuck in this way, in this pattern of the old, that they weren't willing, that their hearts were actually hardened from seeing God most clearly. And this is what I find fascinating, is that Moses... He didn't, he didn't cover up his face, that he didn't put the veil on because he was ashamed of this glow. No, Moses put this veil over his face because the other people were afraid because their hearts were hardened. It was because of the other people. He was looking out for the other people, and that's why he put this, this veil over his face. And sometimes I think that our hearts can be hardened towards God as well that I think that we can be people who put this veil over our faces, and I do the same thing, that I'm not able to see God more clearly, and it might not be the same issue that the second Corinthians, that the people in, in Corinthians were, were having, but I think that we here, we have our own veils that we put in front of our face that we're not able to experience the full life and the spirit that God gives. And I'm speaking for myself that there are veils that get in my way from me seeing God more clearly. So I just want to talk a few of those. Like, What are those? What's the veil in our lives? What's the stumbling block that's actually getting in our way and our life from seeing God more clearly? So what could some of those be? And in some cases, I think that we are similar to, to, the, to the people in Corinthians and in this story that the veil that we have over our, faith, or our faces is actually this idea of religion that I spend a lot of time with youth and I spend a lot of time with people and one of the biggest things that I hear is when, when they first come to youth or why they're not coming to youth uh, or why they're not coming to church is because they think that it's a bunch of rules that we have to follow. 
that we have to follow all of these rules to be in relationship with God, but they realize that, that I'm a broken person, that I'm a sinful person, that, that I can't follow these rules, so I'm not actually welcome into this place. And this is this veil that is covering over their faces. And there are so many students that I talk to that it actually just breaks my heart uh, to hear it, that they don't think that they're good enough to enter the church. And that's a veil that, that gets in the way of them seeing God more clearly. But there's this reassurance, there's this new thing that when we actually turn to God, the veil is taken away and we realize uh, that there's a relationship that's formed out of grace and out of mercy, not out of the rules that we follow. But the rules that we follow uh, is actually done out of a celebration of what Christ has done for us, not for something that we feel that we are obligated to do, but it comes out of a celebration of this life and the spirit that God has given us. So maybe that's one of the stumbling blocks that's getting in the way that this that this relationship with God, that you think that it's rules-based and you're never going to live up to it. Maybe another stumbling block is being self-focused. Maybe the veil is that we are too concerned with ourselves to even look up or look to see, to see God. We had a sociologist, James Penner, came in earlier this year. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was something that he said, and I preached on this a couple weeks ago, but it still is something that's just heavy on my heart. Uh, and he said that, that we live in a social media generation. We live in a social media culture. That's what it's all about. And it started off, first started off, just to update people of what's going on in your life sending pictures or statuses of the things that are going on. But as it's progressed, and for the younger generation, he was talking about the youth who are coming up, that social media is no longer a means to, to communicate things that are going on in your life. It's actually turned into a way of marketing oneself. That's actually turned a way that you have to market yourself, that you have to promote yourself over your social media accounts. And I was just hit by that. That somebody, if they, don't get an, if they don't like this picture, they're not going to post it. If they don't get 100 likes on this picture, they just delete it. Because their social media accounts have now become their resume. And that's how they get across who they are. But I think we can become so focused that this self-focus becomes this veil that covers our face. And sure, it doesn't have to be social media. There's lots of other ways that we can be people who are just self-focused. And that veil is getting in that way from us and truly experiencing who God is is in this love that he has for us. Maybe this veil that's getting in the way is this search and this hunger after money and power and success. That we can be people who are continuously after those three things, this endless rat race of trying to get more money, to be more powerful, to be more successful, to be more popular. But the crazy thing is, is that this is just this endless cycle because there's always going to be more money. There's always going to be a position with more power. You could always be more successful, that there's always people who are out there who, are more, who have more money, more power, more success than you, and you think you reach a goal, that you've got a goal that you reach after, and maybe when you get that goal, you realize actually there's something that's more that's out there, and you, and you put that goal up again, and you're continuously trapped in this cycle, and what happens when that disappears? And we're just left with nothing, and it's this rat race that can get in the way, but our lives can be so focused on those things in this veil that then gets in the way from us seeing Christ more clearly in this identity that he has for us. And maybe one of the, the veils, another one that could get in the way is fear. Maybe the veil is fear that we're afraid that we're not good enough to, 
to step foot in a, in a church, that we're not good enough to have this, uh, to step foot in a community like this and have a relationship with God, that we become fearful uh, that we're just not good enough. Or once we even do have this relationship with God, there's sometimes that we become fearful that we don't even want to share about him. And we're afraid of what other people might think when they find out who we are inside. That we become afraid. And this fear just keeps building up and building up and building up that we can't actually see God clearly for who he is because we've built this, this veil. But there's hope in this verse. That's what he's setting up. There's this veil. And then he comes in, Paul, with this but. But there is hope. But there is life when we actually turn to God. So what would our lives look like if we were people who were, who were like Moses? Right, that after 40 days of spending time with the Lord, of actually speaking with him, that he was glowing, that he was radiant. What it would look like if we were people who would glow for Christ. And what Paul is getting at is that we can actually do that. That, the, that this glow that Moses had, that the Spirit actually gives us this new glow, gives us this new life that is so much more than what Moses had. That just gives me hope. When the veil has been removed, that we can be people who are glowing in the Spirit. And it says that the Spirit is freedom, that we are living in this, this freedom for God. That's what that, glow, that's what that glow looks like. That our prayers then become not so much of, of asking prayers of what we think God ought to be doing in our lives and asking for these things, but our prayers turn into uh, formative prayers, that we pray that we become more like Jesus, that we pray that we become more like God, not just asking for all those things. Yes, that comes in, into play, that God wants us to ask, but he also wants us to pray that we become more like him and that we experience his kingdom of heaven here on earth right now, that that becomes part of this glow that we bring. And I think that is something that is extremely beautiful. I just want to read one more verse in Second uh, Corinthians 18 again says, for all of us who have heard that the veil removed, sorry, let me read that again. So all of us who have heard that the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. At this point, i am uh, just got a few more concluding points. So I'd invite the, the band up. But what if we were people who are able to just turn to God? See, in the, the old covenant that there was this idea and there was this belief that we were people who were not holy enough to actually turn to God and see God face to face. There was already this veil that was broken that we couldn't actually see God face to face. We couldn't turn to God because we just weren't holy enough to turn to God and to see him face to face. And the Corinthians and the Israelites, they were living in that, that fear that they couldn't see God face to face. So, and in part, they would always have their backs turned because they couldn't actually see him face to face. And the new covenant, what it promises is that instead of being turning away from God because we're not holy enough to see him, that he in return has just come and faced us in the personhood of Jesus. Somebody that we can actually spend time with. That's what the new covenant is like. So instead of us just searching for God, we just look because he's already searched for us, that he is right there in front of us the whole time, that we can be, be, become people who reflect God's glory. So the more time that we spend time with God, that we become more like him, that we are formed in his image. That's what verse 18 is talking about, that we become a reflection of God. 
that we become like him because we were actually created in his image. When I go uh, car for, for a road trip, and this almost happens like every single road trip, that while we're driving, my wife pulls out her phone, and I'm not saying anything bad. Like, I mean, we all spend time on our phone. That's okay. Uh, but she pulls out her phone, and it, and it seems to always happen where the sun comes through the window, hits the phone, and hits me right in the face. I don't know if that's happened to anybody else, or when you're in class in junior high and you've got a watch on and the sun is shining through and you're trying to hit your teacher in the eye with the light, um, but it's a reflection that this is what this, this verse is talking about, that it's not just when we spend time with God that we are transformed into his, his image, that when we are people who are being transformed, that we become that light to other people. That that is this glow that we bring. That we are a community that reflects this life-giving spirit to other people. So even just take a look around. That we are people who are sitting here. That we are people who are glowing for Christ. That we are being that reflection. Right into the eyes of other people. Even if that is something that's annoying. Um, but what is, what is this spirit? What is this life that Christ gives? And it is this thing of freedom. Uh, and this freedom, I think it brings... It brings joy, and it brings this peace, and it brings this, this love about us. That at, it reflected in God's image that we become people who are joyful in unjoyful situations. That we become joyful in situations that are difficult and are tough. That we become God's reflection when we are joy, and we bring joy and life into that situation. We are people, when we're, when we're transformed into Christ, that bring peace. We bring peace in the midst of difficult work situations, difficult home situations, in actual real war, that we actually become peace, that we are reflecting God's image by being, bringing peace into a world that is filled with anxiety. And that we can be people who are loving. And again, not just people who are loving people like us, but that we are loving even people who could be considered our enemies. That's how we're bringing this glow, this glow that Moses had, that, that the Spirit brings so much more of this glow. And that's how we bring it. We bring it with peace, joy, love, and freedom. So what if we were people like that? That if we were people like John three sixteen, that we so loved the world, and yet God sent his only son, is that we could have uh, eternal life, but he sent his only son, that we can be part of bringing that life to all people by being this glowing image of God. So I just want to invite you, as we just close the service, um, at the end of the service, we have prayer time. So we've got prayer here and in the back, uh, that sometimes I realize that there's this veil that gets in the way of our faces of God that is so thick that we can't actually see him, that we want to break that veil down so bad. And I just want to encourage you that we're able to do this together, that we're people who are reflecting God's image. So I just want to encourage you, if there's some things that are getting in the way of you in this relationship, and you in this glow that there's a veil that's covering, I just, I just want to urge you to, to ask for prayer, that we are people who can do this together. So I'm just going to close off in prayer. God, I want to thank you uh, for the reassurance of that verse that you so loved the world, that you sent your son uh, to live out this old covenant and to give us this new one, that you are actually the fulfillment of, of this old, that, that you are what the old was pointing to the whole time and this love and this joy and this peace and this forgiveness and this grace and this mercy that you have given all of us. So Lord, I just want to ask for forgiveness of the things that I've covered my heart with when my heart becomes hard, that I'm not able to, to face you and see you more clearly. 
But Lord, I just want to pray right now that that veil is removed, whatever that veil is, if it is this idea of rules, a rules-based religion that's keeping me in the way of seeing you clearly or, um, or fear, or if it's myself, self-focused, or my hunger for the things of this world that gets in my way, God, I just pray uh, in your name that you can be able to remove that veil, that we can see you more clearly, and we become people that glow and are radiant for you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.